I need to do this for my family. This is not a surprise to anybody. It's really sad that it's got to this point, but I've got to do something. The sixth in line to the British throne decided to leave royal life and tell all in a combustible interview. And in spite of the elaborate weddings and the cute babies, there is a sense that maybe our ties to the British monarchy are a bit more trouble than they're worth. Prince Andrew has given his first detailed interview in response to the allegations about his links to convicted paedophile Geoffrey Epstein. Well, maybe I was the first person ever to be in this family who ever had a depression or was ever openly tearful. And obviously that was daunting because if you've never seen it before, how do you support it? And Meghan Markle uh, made a series of explosive revelations in an interview with Oprah Winfrey yesterday, including that she was suicidal while pregnant with her first child. And when she sought help from the royal family, she was denied. Obviously, this is something that's been well canvassed over the years. But for all the arguments about whether Aotearoa should abolish the monarchy, there is another question here. If we did, how would it work? How tricky would it be to untie all of this constitutional red tape? The New Zealand Parliament in New Zealand, uh, if they were making a change to a monarchy, could do it overnight. But... Wouldn't this open up vacuums in our institutions? How would we go about filling them? And what would this mean for our nation's most important document, the deal between Māori and the Crown? Kia ora, I'm Emil Donovan. And today on The Detail, constitutional law experts Graham Edgler and Dr Moana Jackson discuss how the abolishment of the monarchy would work and what sort of system might take its place. Graham Edgler, welcome to The Detail. Thank you for having me. What is a monarchy? A monarchy is a, a form of government where um, the head of state is its hereditary. The person's son or daughter becomes the next king or queen or grand duke or, or whatever type of monarchy you have. What is New Zealand? It's a constitutional monarchy. Yeah, okay. And what does that mean? It's a monarchy somewhat in name only. The monarch has no real power, or almost no power. But we don't have a constitution. We do. We don't have a written constitution. It makes a lot of things easier. In what way? You know, in Australia, they've had a vote on whether to become a republic to ditch the monarchy, and they need a, a supermajority of, you know, the process for amending the constitution in Australia requires a majority of the population, a majority of the states as well. And so you could run up large numbers in the larger states and have the territories vote you out, vote you down. And so a number of times they have amended the Australian Constitution, but a number of other times they have wanted to but have uh, have been unable to uh, because even if the popular vote was there in supporting it, it wasn't widely enough spread. What is a constitution? Constitution is it's the set of rules uh, that govern how government happens. It's rules about rules. Um, you know, how do we make the laws? Um, who makes the laws? Who decides things? Uh, it's the, the set of rules about how all the other bits actually work. You know, we have a Crimes Act or a you know, Companies Act or something like that. Those aren't constitutions. Mm. But the, the bit that says who gets to amend the Crimes Act, uh, who gets to decide whether we have a Companies Act at all, those bits are constitution. So if we're a constitutional monarchy, but we don't have a written constitution, then in what form does our constitution exist? 
it's unwritten and in some parts it, a lot of a lot of it is written uh, it's just written in places which you wouldn't normally recognize as a constitution there are laws which say we are a monarchy there are laws which say how the monarchy goes from one person to the next and those are all things you would find in a constitution and lots of them are written down in, in little places here and there um, but we don't have a constitution, or at least not a written constitution. It's, you know, a few different, you know, statutes and laws and, and a bunch of other things combined together, including just some practices, really, that aren't, you know, necessarily written down at all. Maybe they're summarised in the cabinet manual or something like this is how New Zealand operates. Mm. But the informality of it does mean, you know, we could change to a monarchy tomorrow if Parliament decided to, to recall itself and uh, sit under urgency. Yep, Governor General would be signing her, well, not her death warrant, but her your sacked warrant or something uh, by the end of the day if Parliament really wanted to, which is not the case in a lot of other countries, which you know either require you know confirmation votes or things like that, um, whether it's of states or of you know the public or something like that. In the United States, the public never gets a vote on the federal constitution, at least. In Australia, changes to the Australian federal constitution require a public vote. Uh, and so Parliament couldn't do it tomorrow. Um, Congress couldn't do it tomorrow. But the New Zealand Parliament in New Zealand, uh, if they were making a change to a monarchy, could do it overnight. The monarch's position is set out pretty unequivocally in the Constitution Act of 1986. It reads, The sovereign in right of New Zealand is the head of state of New Zealand and shall be known by the royal style and titles proclaimed from time to time. The Governor-General appointed by the sovereign is the sovereign's representative in New Zealand. But presumably, if we were to decide to abolish the monarchy, there would be an effect on the country. It might not be obvious in the day-to-day, but, you know, doesn't the monarchy act as a check on the executive, a mechanism to make sure that a tyrant couldn't seize control of the parliament and enact a bunch of brutal, repressive laws? And what about the governor-general? What would happen to Dame Patsy? Could we still compete in the Commonwealth Games? Would we have to change our flag? Would we have to give up our two-year working holiday visa? You know, when you look under the constitutional bonnet, what impact would this have on how Aotearoa functions? Almost none. That's a bit of a letdown. Every time that, you know, Queen is written in the law, you would either change it to head of state, president, governor general, we could even keep that name. Mm. Nothing necessarily would have to. We wouldn't necessarily need a written constitution, although some people might think it would be a good idea. You wouldn't need to change very much of anything. It's it's not really a legal question. It's more of a political question um, of should we do it and what should the situation look like. You know, uh, there in some some quarters there is support for a republic because you know groups of people think that you know the treaty was signed with the Queen of England at the time, Queen Victoria, and so if we become a republic, the treaty goes. And that's just not going to happen. The treaty would still exist, for example, and it would just not change very much. Instead of the government and right of New Zealand having the obligations, the government and right of New Zealand would have the obligations. Literally nothing would change as a matter of law. Um, But sort of people's appreciation of it, you know, public understanding, you know, that's where the, the potential changes are. Potentially over time, we would just slowly update our laws so that you know, where we said the crown, it would become the state of New Zealand or something like that. Um, but almost nothing would change. 
10,000 people gather outside Parliament buildings in Wellington, the capital of New Zealand, as accompanied by Prince Philip, the Queen enters to open a special session of Parliament. Her Majesty, who wears the same lustrous gown which she wore at her coronation, is the first sovereign ever to perform this ceremony in New Zealand. You said at the beginning that the monarchy has very little to do with New Zealand and the running of the country. Does it have anything to do with New Zealand and, and, and how it sort of functions at the moment? Well, it depends what you mean by the monarchy. Um, essentially what we're talking about in New Zealand is the Governor-General yes. as the representative of the Queen. The Governor-General doesn't have very much to do with the running of the country. Um, they you know, sign all the laws, but you know, it's not interesting because they sign all the laws. Mm. Uh, you know, so they don't have a choice. You know, I don't want this to become a law. Um, they sign it anyway. And so they don't have that. The 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 one sort of technical area where they have uh, their own power as the Governor General is what are called the reserve powers. That's the powers which are reserved for the Governor General to exercise without being instructed to do so by a minister. Every every other thing, sign this law. Um, when when the Governor General signs the law, there is also a a bit of paper that goes along with the the bill which has been passed which is an instruction from the Prime Minister or, or another minister from Cabinet saying, Governor-General, I recommend, you know, require that you sign this law. And so every, every decision like that is one that is uh, directed by the Prime Minister or another minister. The one exception for that, and it's a pretty minor one, is whom should I appoint as Prime Minister? It's the decision that's actually made by the Governor-General. It's not a decision that the old Prime Minister recommends. It's a decision that you know, the Governor General looks at public statements by you know party leaders and determines does a Prime Minister or does a party leader have what would be the confidence of the House and you know it doesn't need a formal vote in Parliament that they have confidence, they'll appoint the Prime Minister before that ever happens. Um, but that is the one decision that the Governor General actually makes where they're making it on their own. You know, this is really crucial because I think one of the reasons that the monarchy has thrived for so long in recent years is because the Queen is so popular and the relationship that she has built up with her subjects and with people around the world over many, many years. And that's one of the reasons, I would say, potentially, why mm. Commonwealth realms such as yourself have not gotten rid of the British monarchy because of that relationship specifically with the Queen. And I think if the monarchy is being criticised and people are very critical of the institution and she is not there to be this very popular figurehead, I think there's a you know, big problem. You've seen a republic several times here... Is a republic the only thing that we could do? Are there other options that could be on the table? I think it's the only thing we could do. I mean, could we... Be, could we? Uh, um, yes. I mean, oh, you know, could we... You know, we don't want... We don't want... You know, some, one of the arguments in, fa in favour of a republic is we don't want a, our head of state being overseas. You know, could we choose a New Zealand family and say, yep, this is the royal family of New Zealand now... Um, you're the queen, um, your kids are going to be kings and queens and it's just going to keep going. You know, that's not realistic, but you know, that's the other type of thing you could have. Is it be, not realistic? It is not realistic. What if, and I'm just spitballing here, but you know, what if you wanted to roll it in with the Kingy Tonga movement? I don't think it's realistic. Huh? I don't, no. no. But, you know, I mean, the, your options are monarchy and republic. But... Are those the only two options, or are we a bit constrained in our thinking here? After all, if we're going to abolish the monarchy, why take the path of least resistance, the option with the smallest possible change? 
why not use this as an opportunity for broader, more sweeping change? I, th- I think the question is not so much whether the monarchy as it exists should be abolished, but whether the current constitutional parliamentary relationships envisage the sort of process that the treaty promised, and they do not um, give effect to the treaty. That is Dr Moana Jackson, a lawyer and academic who specialises in the Treaty of Waitangi and constitutional issues. And so the issue for me has always been not should we abolish the monarchy, but we should go back to the kind of constitutional arrangements that were envisaged in the treaty, and that included neither the current monarchy-based system nor a republic. Does any imposed constitutional model, like the current one, have legitimacy in terms of the treaty? And it doesn't. Um, The treaty did not allow the Crown to assume authority over Māori. Māori did not cede sovereignty, did not give up the right to govern themselves. And so no matter what model the colonising state imposed after 1840, it would be inconsistent with the treaty. And, and that's the vexed and vexing constitutional issue that the country's always been reluctant to confront. One of the great ironies in Aotearoa is that the way things are, an Indigenous New Zealander can never be head of state. It will always be the British sovereign. Back in 2016, a report was released which Jackson co-convened alongside Professor Margaret Mutu looking at the possibility of large-scale constitutional reform. We spent four years travelling around the country asking Māori people if you had a say in how this country was covered tomorrow, what would that look like? And nobody out of the thousands of Māori we spoke to or who answered our surveys and so on, none of them wanted the current parliamentary model for Māori. Um, What they saw and said, in fact, is what the Waitangi Tribunal stated, that Māori did not cede sovereignty and allow unfettered authority for the Crown over Māori. What it established and recognised, rather, was different spheres of influence. So there would be a Crown sphere of influence, what we called a rangateratanga sphere of influence, and within that sort of constitutional framework, there would be a relational place where the Crown and Māori could make joint decisions on matters of common interest. And and that's as close as we could get first to what Māori people were saying and secondly to what I believe the, the treaty states. So, I mean... Am I right in sort of summarising that as almost like a one country, two systems, but two systems which overlap in certain areas kind of situation? Well, that's what the treaty envisaged. The treaty didn't say to the Crown, yes, you can come in and be the boss of everything and we'll just roll over and be subordinate. I mean, there's there's nowhere in Māori history where one iwi would allow another iwi to do that to them. And in fact, 
there's nowhere in human history where, say, the King of England ever would agree to the Emperor of France coming to take absolute authority in England. That's just not a human political reality. Yet since 1840, we've been expected to believe that that is, in fact, what Māori people agreed to in 1840. Mm. What we did agree to was those distinctive spheres of influence. We wanted the Crown to come and sort out the recalcitrant and illegally acting colonisers who are arriving on our shore, but there's never any intention that that authority of the Crown should also extend over Māori. This is really interesting because most of the commentary or, or speculation around you know, what might happen if New Zealand were to, to break with the monarchy revolves around you know, the idea of we either, we either want to be a constitutional monarchy or we want to be a republic. You seem to be advocating for a much more dramatic reimagining almost of what a political system can be, almost building a brand new system. Well, if we accept all the talk, the treaty is the founding document of this country as a New Zealand nation, if you like, then we have to be clear on what exactly was founded upon the treaty. And either the idea of a republic, which has its genesis in Western political thought, nor a constitutional monarchy with absolute power over everyone, including Māori, um, a part of that framework. And it's actually not a new debate among Māori. Um, ever since 1840, there have been discussions about what sort of governance arrangements the treaty ought envisage, whether it was the founding of the Kingitanga, the founding of the Kotahitanga movement in the 19th century, and even the Māori Congress in the late 20th century, they were all attempts to investigate a different way of governing this country. How, how do we build a treaty-based constitutional model? That, that's the fundamental and unchanging question. Um, and if there was to be a referendum tomorrow that suggested the abolition of the monarchy, say, um, then that would certainly make the discussion about what should replace it much easier. But for that to happen, what is now regarded as the Crown has to acknowledge that there cannot be a constitutional system where someone else assumes absolute authority over Māori. Um, there's a lot of talk now about by Māori, for Māori, um, but that, that, that's meaningless if in the end the power is held by a colonising state whether that state is a republic or a constitutional monarchy or whatever else. What you're, what you're advocating for here, do you think that it stands a realistic chance of actually being embraced and, and happening? Well, people would probably say that any major change is unrealistic, but the current constitutional reality was created by humans and it can be changed by humans. No constitutional system is set in concrete. The current notion of a constitutional monarchy, for example, is quite different to what it was in 1840, 
quite different to what it was even in, say, 1987. Mm. So constitutional models do change, and if we simply say, oh, it can't change because it's unrealistic, then that indicates a real lack of imagination, in my view, a real lack of courage, and a real unwillingness to confront what really is, in the end, the main issue um, that confronts every colonising state, that in order for decolonisation to occur, the power structures that the colonising state established have to be reviewed and, in this country, aligned with the promises of the treaty. So it's not a question of reality or unreality. In the end, it's a question of what's just and achieving justice often is never easy. Um, but that doesn't mean we don't try and we don't think about it. Why don't we throw out the treaty and design something better? Well, that's basically what the Matikimai constitutional process um, suggested. And what was interesting in that whole four-year consultation project was that people didn't talk about what a new constitutional model would look like. That was never the first step. The, the first step was actually what values should underpin a constitutional system. And, and those were values like caring for the land, having no one live in poverty, respecting the rights of all people to have a place in this country and so on. And from those values, then a different treaty-based model could flow. Could we still play in the Commonwealth Games? Absolutely. Most of the Commonwealth are republics now. Um, most of the people who attend the Commonwealth Games uh, attend from countries which do not have the Queen as their head of state. Uh, that wouldn't change. We wouldn't leave the Commonwealth. Actually, it turns out only 16 of the 54 Commonwealth countries actually have the Queen as their head of state. Five others have their own monarchies, and the rest are republics. Would we have to change our flag? No. We could. Probably would. We probably would, wouldn't we, yeah. But we don't have to. That's it for today. I'm Emile Donovan. The detail is brought to you by newsroom.co.nz and made possible by RNZ and New Zealand On Air. If you don't want to miss an episode, subscribe for a free daily download from your favourite podcast platform. Today's episode was engineered by Blair Stagpole and produced by Alexia Russell. And thanks to Moana Jackson and Graham Edgler for today's episode. Matewa.